You're listening to WJMF Radio, the beat of Bryant. What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Brian Costa, and we have got a great episode in store for you guys tonight. We're going to discuss Mac Jones and the Patriots and their horrific loss to the Dallas Cowboys. 38-3 to was the final, and a lot of storylines are coming out of that game, so we'll make sure to discuss that, as well as, as, well as paying tribute to Tim Wakefield, who unfortunately lost his battle with brain cancer this past weekend. We'll discuss that, and we'll also talk about the Celtics acquiring Drew Holiday. We'll we'll talk about that that trade and what that means for the Eastern Conference, as well as the Milwaukee Bucks acquiring Damian Lillard. So it's going to be an episode packed full of all sorts of different sports takes, but really looking forward to it. I'll, as always, I'm I'm glad to be joined along on this episode by a good friend. He is a returning guest of the show, Mister John Warren. Glad to have you back on the program with us today. How you doing, man? Doing good. Glad to be back on the show and uh, very excited to get uh, down to the wire today. Absolutely, man. So uh, this, this this episode obviously came about very like last minute. I've been trying to get back into a good schedule of doing shows, but with grad school and everything going on, it's been tough to remain consistent. But uh, we make do and we try to figure it out. Obviously, I'm not in the Koffler Center right now. I'm in my own uh, townhouse dorm room right now. So uh, you're just making, I'm just making do with what I can, but uh, John, you texted me while I was at dinner or actually you called me when I was at dinner. Uh, I was with a couple of people from my undergraduate. Uh, I was with Jake goose and Tyler and I picked it up and I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on with John. And he just tells me, Brian, I want to rant. And I was like, rant about what? And he goes, the Patriots and a whole lot of things. So uh, John, I'll probably let you start off with it. It was an ugly game for the Pats. It's the worst loss in the Bill Belichick era. Uh, what are your thoughts on just this game and what this means for everything going forward? Well, um, I guess just to start, um, earlier earlier in the uh, year, I made uh, some very bold predictions, some very aggressive pred- predictions. And, you know, Man of my word, they uh, right now, quarter of the way through, do not look very promising whatsoever. I can almost fully guarantee you that everything I said is probably not going to happen. Besides the Ravens, probably doing, they're doing all right right now. But besides that, the Pats, the Pats are terrible, man. John, just to give some like, uh, like just to give some reference, what were some of the predictions that you had made about this team going into the year? and that have obviously been proven wrong. Like, I know that um, I had some questions about this team and whether they would be able to compete, but uh, what were your, what were some of your predictions at the start of this year? Uh, So for starters, I thought this team was going to be a very tough team to beat. I thought we were going to go 10 and seven. It looks like we're going to go about maybe five and whatever. (laughs) Uh, Five wins is generous, honestly. Really? So, um, so you've jumped off the bat off the bandwagon that much. You've slashed their win total in half. Yeah, one hundred percent. I said Juju Smith Schuster is uh, a very good wide receiver. We have yet to see that at all. It looks like his knee is about to be gone, and we took what like thirty six million dollars in cap that Jacoby Myers, who is currently balling, yeah, right now with the Raiders. That one sucks, and then. On top of all of that, Mac Jones just looks awful. He looks terrible. He looks confused. He looks pathetic, honestly. He looks really pathetic. It looks wow. like the Patriots do not have an identity whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to ask you, I mean, and I, I tend to agree with a lot of what you're saying. I mean, Mac Jones this year has just looked inept. He's obviously regressed from – uh, where he was as a rookie. I thought that at least the benchmark that I wanted to see from Mac Jones this year was, you know, some people were saying he's got to take a step forward from his rookie season. He's got to get back to what, uh, you know, to like he's got to get better than that. And for me, that wasn't even the benchmark. I just wanted him with a competent offensive coordinator, which I believed Bill O'Brien was coming back into this offense. I just wanted Mac Jones to get back to his rookie form. And if obviously like there's, you know, some mistakes that happen in there, some costly interceptions, I was willing to eat those bullets and just say, you know what, if we can just get this kid back on track and, you know, just save him from the hell that was last year under Matt Patricia and Joe judge, 
I can call it a win and maybe go into his contract year hoping to really, you know, see him progress forward. But it just hasn't, you know, worked out for him so far. You know, some people are saying that the offense is better now than it was under the Josh McDaniels. I tend to disagree with that. Maybe that team overall was better. And maybe you could say that this offense is, you know, a little bit, you know, better in some spots. But Mac Jones just looks like he's seeing ghosts out there. I mean, there's that famous quote from Sam Darnold when he was playing the Patriots and he said he was seeing ghosts and then the Pats defense started to call themselves the boogeyman. Uh, Mac Jones literally is terrified back there, in my opinion, and he doesn't have the talent to escape the pressure that's being put on him right now. Yeah, and that that's the thing that's really sad to see, because as much as the offensive line is bad, the wide receivers are lackluster. The play calling has been skeptical at best. I mean, poor Ramondre Stevenson back there is getting, getting like killed. 13, getting killed and getting like 13 targets. Yeah. For like 40 yards at most, which is nuts. And it just seems crazy to think that a couple of years ago we were legit and hopeful and it was always well, we can always figure out a way and well, now there is no way. There's yeah. been closed off, the division is now elite. I would say, honestly, right now, if the Jets and the Patriots were to play each other in the Super Bowl, right now, the Jets would win, and they would flat out kill the Pats. Really? And it wouldn't even be close. And, and, and why And why do you take that as your comparison? Obviously, Super Bowl between those teams impossible because of the conferences, but you're saying if the stakes are high enough that the Jets would come out on top. Why, what is your reasoning for that? Obviously, the Patriots beat them last week, but I'll let you explain. I think, honestly, that the... The Jets, as much as they, like, it sucked losing Aaron Rodgers and everything, it looks like they're at least trending in the right direction. It looks like they at least have a solid defense. The Pats, as soon as you lose Christian Gonzalez, who is a rookie, by the way, completely fall apart. I mean, the one good thing we had going for us was, in total, like, the Pats' defense realistically gave up 10 points. Mac Jones gave up about – spotted the – the Cowboys about like 28 points the other game. He had that fumble, went into the touchdown. He I mean, pick six. I'll at least Just... give him, I'll at least give him the 14 for the pick six and the fumble on um, the other ones. I'd have to go back and take a look at, but yeah, that pick six ugly. You're outside the pocket. You know that you're not a mobile guy, but uh, you're getting flushed out there anyways. You had to make something happen and, it just looks embarrassing. And then the pick six too, that was, that was ugly. Just going across here. Yeah. Just not, not a great look for Mac Jones there. And uh, like you said, Christian Gonzalez, that was a terrible loss for us too. Uh, Especially because he was doing so well to start his rookie campaign with all the complaints I've had for this Patriots team to start this year. Christian Gonzalez really wasn't one of them. In fact, he was one of the guys I was really high on, uh, you know, for going from preseason into this, uh, into this year. Um, and now to see him go out with a dislocated shoulder, I mean, it, luckily it isn't anything with the knees, so you don't have to really worry about speed, but uh, I, you just don't know what the timetable is going to be for a return like that, and it makes you nervous. Yeah. What is this What is this secondary going to do? Because as soon as he went out in that Dallas Cowboys game, Miles Bryant, I think, was put on C.D. Lamb first play after after he goes down, straight down the field, fly route to, fly route to C.D., easy touchdown for Dallas, and I'm like – if that's what our secondary is going to look like with Jonathan Jones and Jack Jones and Marcus Jones all out, like, I don't know if we can, I don't know if we were going to be able to really stop anything. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate part that it really seems like you, you really have to blow up the team. Like, and as much as it's like sad to say, like offensively, we have no one defensively. We're usually okay. That game, we got embarrassed. It's a tough loss. I mean, John, I won't say that we have no one on offense. I, I think that we have weapons on offense. They're just not being used efficiently. I think that I, I would say that, like, I would t- I would totally agree with you. Juju Smith-Schuster, horrible pickup. Uh, the knee is gone. I mean, th- at this point, I would just say get him into surgery and just try to salvage something for the next, like, two years of that contract because at this point, you're just playing out the string. You're waiting for his knee to go, and then he can have – whatever reconstructive surgery he needs to have on it just so he can get on the field again next year. At this point, I would just put him under the knife and just sacrifice this season in that part of the contract because it's not working. And then for, and then for other weapons that are bringing out, 
you know, when Ramondre Stevenson has a chance, I think he's, you know, one of the better backs in the league. And then Hunter Henry, I think is a great tight end, but he just isn't being, isn't being utilized correctly. So I, I think they have the weapons there, but what we're realizing is that I just don't think Mac Jones is the guy to lead this team over the hump. And uh, it sucks to say, cause I had a lot of praise about Mac Jones coming out of Alabama, coming into the league. And I thought he really could be, you know, at, like a good, like a lot of, a lot of people talked about Tom Brady being a system quarterback. I really thought Mac Jones would be a legitimate system quarterback. You build the team around him. He at least can just get the job done, not F anything up and get you over the hump. I don't think he can do that now, which, which sucks because I, I, I had that faith in him, but I just don't think he can do that now. And the other thing too, now you have going against Mac Jones is his whole reputation is getting tarnished by everyone right now. I don't know if you've been seeing this, but uh, you know, everyone is coming after Mac Jones for these, uh, you know, kind of just like dirty plays that he's been doing. I know, uh, you know, he playing against the jets. He like hit like sauce Gardner, like in the nuts uh, dating back to last year. Uh, I think it was Brian banks or no, uh, Brian Burks, I believe of the, um, I believe of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, basically like a Mac Jones, like twisted his ankle last year purposely when he was on the ground and it, he's almost starting to, re- to develop the reputation of like the Grayson Allen of football to where he's just pulling out these dirty plays because he knows he, you know, doesn't have the physical traits to make up for it. Right. And that's the unfortunate part too, is that yeah. there's nothing really positive to take out of the situation. No, it, it's and- almost like you have to just dump tank and restart because there's no even hump for this team to get over. No. I realistically think it's really, we were mid before this, like we were like a middle of the road team. Now there's like, there's, we're really like, like in Chicago, right? Yeah. They look terrible. At least they could have potentially the number one and number two overall pick. Yeah. With the That's Patriots- a really good, there's a really good thing to look forward to with the Patriots. What are we really looking forward to? There's not much because unfortunately, John, you think this team's going to be able to leak out maybe five, six wins. I unfortunately think that they're going to be able to somehow just by the grace of, by the grace of God, get, uh, get some more than that. And looking at the schedule right now, it's tough to really pinpoint. I think that, uh, you know, the saints coming up this week, you have, uh, I believe Jameis as the backup facing him and listen, Jameis is better than your average backup quarterback, but I think that hopefully you should be able to get that done. So I think that you can take care of them. Um, Raiders, I'm not going to give that, that to them. Um, I think you might be able to maybe surprise the commanders, but they're even looking pretty good as of late. Um, the right. Col- the Colts with a rookie quarterback over in Germany, you know, those international games are so weird. Maybe, maybe you can, you know, catch them off guard and make something happen. And then the giants obviously have been looking terrible. So I think you can get a win there. Steelers have had some inconsistencies, but um, in the coaching, you know, between Belichick and Tomlin is, you know, you know, pr- pretty good coaching duel. I think it'll just come down to uh, who schemes up each other better in that. And then I do think that if, you know, Aaron Rodgers isn't back for the Jets, which is a, another topic in it of itself. I think that you can pull out a win against them in the last week, as well as the Denver Broncos. So I don't know how many wins right. that'll total up to, but I think that's around maybe, you know, like seven, maybe eight wins, which will likely land you in the middle of the draft, which for the Patriots, like, sure, the middle of the draft is fine. And like, you can get some decent players there. Obviously, we got Christian Gonzalez last year, um, you know, more in the middle of that more in the middle of the draft. But if you really want to get those impact players, guys that are going to change your, you know, change your team and franchise, you know, year one in those guys typically come at the top of the draft. And if the Patriots are just going to be in this mediocrity, you know, to do an NBA comparison, you're almost what the 76ers were before they decided to go of the trusting the process route where you had Andre Iguodala and all these other players that they were just, you know, sometimes barely squeaking into the playoffs, just sometimes missing it. And yeah. you and you knew it wasn't going anywhere, but they were just throwing it out there, hoping something would happen. And eventually they said, you know what? This isn't working. We're going to trade these pieces away. We're going to tank and we'll see you guys in like five years. Now, I hate that. I don't like tanking, but with the Patriots right now, it's getting to the point where I just don't know what like what direction this team can go in without 
you know, seeing a potential rebuild on the horizon. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, I saw this stat and it was, um, it was uh, Mac Jones QBR last mm-hmm. game. Yeah. His QBR was a 14.8. Oh my God. Jesus if you, Christ. The QBR of taking a football and throwing it directly into the ground every single snap is like a 13.5. Oh my God. <laughs> so realistically, it needs to start at the head. And as much as you hate to say it, you need a quarterback to end up like it. It, it isn't like one of those like like plug and play type systems. No, with, you know the 49ers. The 49ers are a really well coached team, and arguably Brock Purdy is a top ten QB this year. Yeah, you can say. Yeah, and on I, the I, other I, side of it, we have a Mac Jones, where you honestly need like a Lamar in that system or someone else. You need a QB dominant guy to get you over the hump, get you over those tough situations. If you have a good quarterback, we win that Dolphins game. You know, yeah. we win a couple of those earlier games. And going into this, you're still a tough team to beat. But comes down to that, the play calling, it's it's like third and two, and we're tossing it deep for whatever reason. And we're not trying to hit Hunter Henry over the middle. Like when it's a mismatch, it's just so many frustrating things going on. No, yeah, John, I tend to agree with you. And it makes you think like, Bill Belichick is likely still building this team like he has a quarterback that can bail him out, like he did with Tom Brady for so many years. For, you know, outside of Randy Moss and a couple other guys, like, there, people were clamoring and just saying, hey, Bill, can we get Tom some help here instead of just, like, drafting, like, all, like, these, like, you know, stocky, just, like, short, like, like, you know, like, slot receivers? Can we not do this, like, every single time? Can we get him some legit offensive help? And I know drafting Gronkowski was great, and you got Moss, and you got welker and you had all these other pieces come in but there were plenty of times where tom brady just had to will the offense you know over the hump like in 2013 when the o-line was complete garbage we had no one uh really available as an offensive weapon brady got them to that championship game by just by just you know his his own presence alone like i don't know how he did it but he managed to pull it out and i think that you know if you had a guy like a tom brady like a patrick mahomes in this offense yeah, they could probably bail you out of some of these games. You don't have that. And to go off that, I think that you could take a Mac Jones and put him in a 49er system or a system that is similar to that where it's built around the talent, and he could probably be pretty successful. I think that, you know, even though the arm strength isn't all that, I think you put him on a team like the 49ers, which are obviously stacked, but I think that you put him on a team like that and he'd be, you know, he'd be probably talked about maybe as well as Brock Purdy is. Like I, I do, I do believe that. And I, and that's, that's the unfortunate thing, but I, I just don't know with this offense, if it's going to really work for him. And I think that, you know, maybe he's gotten a raw deal and it's all this stuff, but I just don't think with the way this offense is playing right now, I don't think it's the, an- I don't think he's the answer. Yeah. And um, a certain trend you see going around is this Bill Belichick, honestly on the hot seat. And yeah, I, he is, it, it sucks to say, but he is. Yeah, I and, mean, and, in games without Brady, he has one playoff win, and he's gone thirty six and thirty eight. Yeah, with Brady and all those wins and all those Super Bowls, two nineteen and sixty four. Damn, it's, it's kind of hard to. Yeah, it it sucks, but I think honestly, Belichick can build your defense. He can do all that, but that's offensively he's always needed help it seems like yeah and i'll say this too i've never questioned the coaching acumen of bill belichick probably until this game i've always called into question his ability to you know be a general manager for the franchise it's always you know and and that's the double-edged sword of bill belichick is that if you want bill belichick to run your franchise he is going to run every aspect of the franchise. Like you're not going to have just a general manager calling the shots. And then the coaches on the field running, you know, just having to deal with whatever players are put around him. Bill Belichick builds this thing from the ground up. So in the end, it does start with him. And I, 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 and typically I was just like, yeah, you you wish you could take away the general manager position from bill, but he's such a good coach that you'll just let him uh, figure it out. It's gotten to the point now where some of the moves he's made as the GM his coaching 
for as good as it still is, doesn't make up for it anymore. It, it, it's it, it's gotten so bad to where the product just isn't to where it should be. And no matter how how good of a coach Bill Belichick is, it's tough to win with with this little talent. Yeah, it's it's really hard for him to just keep trying to see him spin yarn into gold every single time because you can only do it so much so many times. Yeah. Because he can take all this late round talent, but how many first round wide receivers are we gonna whiff on? How yeah. many it almost seems like after this certain time that you almost have to try to start to blow up the system. Like Yeah. Try it's time to give someone else, I think, the reins, and I think Bill knows that. I think Kraft's gonna start to say that as he wants to win because realistically like he's getting older as well he probably wants to see a couple more wins while he's here and everything else and it just sucks yeah it just feels like like as long as Bill is still here it's gonna nothing's really gonna change it's still gonna just be this level of mediocrity which yeah. which which sucks to say um I will say this though like the the thing that just Bill Belichick is still doing with the team. He's still building a franchise like it's 20 years ago, which you can't do anymore. The game has gotten is not like guys aren't as big as they used to be. A lot a lot of guys they're smaller, but they're just more athletic and they're quicker. Where, you know, in like say in the 90s and early 2000s, you didn't need to have like a, a receiver with blazing speed as long as they could, you know, they were just solid at catching the football, they could run solid routes. You could get away with that. You need speed and you need that athleticism now. It's just how the game is run. And you can look at the Chiefs, how you know they were when Tyreek Hill first started off there. Now he's with the Dolphins and you know the crazy offense they have with all the different motions and the runs. It that's awesome to see. But I mean, every team now has a speed guy that you can work in. And with the Patriots, the only real speed guy that I can think of is Demario Douglas. And when he's been utilized, he I think he's been great. I know he had that you know, costly fumble that Belichick benched him for, which I, I don't really agree with that. But then he comes back in this Cowboys game, has a really nice pickup uh, on that first drive. I mean, he put like a spin move on a defender, like where he, you know, like stepped off of the side, turned around and uh, just juked the guy. And it was, a, it was an amazing play. And I'm like, that's, those are the type of guys we need to be trying to get for this team. It's not all about just like the star power and, you know, always, you know, being like the greatest hands, but just having the speed to be able to beat these DBs down the field. Like that's what you need to be looking for. And, you know, Belichick doesn't just, he just doesn't see, you know, he just doesn't see success that way. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate I, thing that I think, I think really... I, I think I saw someone say like he's building a team like it's 1993. Yeah. And that's realistic because I think he's just trying to, it's almost gotten to the point where he's trying to he's trying to play chess while everyone else is playing checkers. And yeah, it, I get it, it that, to a certain that, point. That, that's the typical adage: is he's trying to like make you seem like he's smarter. Like the whole Bills playing chess, everyone else is like that's a typical like hammer line. the run while everyone else is like opening like going west coast and just like yeah, like, doing like a bunch of yeah. Like I think like I heard some talk radio guys discussing it, but I also heard it during the game where uh, I think it was. Uh, I think it was Greg Olson. He had mentioned on the broadcast, like, yeah, you don't really see guys running like these triple tight end, like the, like the three tight end, like sets anymore. Like it's, you know, kind of surprising to see it. And it's like, yeah. Cause like the Patriots, they kind of have to run it. They just don't have these athletic receivers. Like obviously Kendrick Bourne is fast and you have some guys that can make some plays, but it doesn't compare to these, uh, to these other teams. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate part because realistically is Ke Kendrick Bourne, even a number two on most teams, like you, it's a, it's a, he's a fringe too. I think if he's he was, I, I think if he was, I think if he's utilized correctly, he can be a two. But th that's, that's the, the thing, issue. though. That's the thing. If he's utilized correctly, yeah. Bill O'Brien's play calls haven't been up to par either. And... No, yeah, and and that's something that frustrates me too because I really wanted Bill O'Brien to. I thought he'd be able to come in here, and I thought his offense and McDaniel's were similar enough that you know Mac would just be able to be like, all right, I'm back in rookie year mode. I can just go out and do what I need to do. And let's just, and you know, let's go for it. And I thought that was going to be how we'd start off the year, but obviously we didn't do that. Yeah. And that's the part that sucks, but I do think that it is time for Bill Belichick to be put on the hot seat and really think, because I, you can look back at the past seasons, like the year after Brady with the Cam Newton year, 
we were expected to, you know, like not do well that year. Like as much as it got Cam Newton, it was hype and you started to rebuild a little bit. Everyone knew, you know, that year it would be okay if we didn't do much. Mm. And that was acceptable. Most of those games we could have won, we didn't. The squad that they had is kind of a miracle that we did as good as we did, to yeah. be completely honest. No, that was a, so, that was a, that was a pretty decent job by coach by by Belichick right, with right. the with the squad we had. And then you go to the Mac Jones year, you make the playoffs. It's super great. It's awesome. You know, like it looks like we're finally starting to build for something. You know, like come back against like I think it was the Houston Texans that year. We made like a really nice comeback. We ended up yeah. winning, and that that got everyone really excited. And then Bill Bill Belichick for whatever reason made that huge mistake last year, and just. <laughs> And we just had a terrible year. Take everything back. We're all the way back to where we were before Brady. Like, almost like it was almost like right after Brady era. We go it all the way that far back, and it just we were tarnished altogether, you yeah. know. And here we are again, looking at the same thing. So I think realistically, Bill Belichick is officially on the hot seat, and you got to start looking for um, his replacement. So fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean, think, I think I, I got a, a name for you right there. I think Gerard Mayo steps in. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, and John, something you mentioned was about, uh, you know, seeing this team kind of lose games that they should have won. That's been the theme of the of the team of the of the Patriots post Brady, in my opinion. Like, there's been plenty of games that this team has won, and had they done so, you could have a completely different look of this franchise after Brady's left, but. Uh, I think there's even a compilation. Of, I, I think you sent it to me of Mac Jones quote almost comebacks where, uh, you know, the, like he has the ability to lead him back in in the fourth quarter, and you know it's looking strong, and then just something goes wrong, uh, like the fumble against the Bengals, the fumble against the Dolphins, um, you know, being up against the Cowboys, and then he throws a pick six, and then you have to you know get bailed out of that. There's been so many plays where you know, the Patriots have been in the position to go on and beat a pretty quality opponent or even come back against one. And they just shoot themselves in the foot. And it, it just really shows like how well you had it when Tom Brady was here, because you knew, because maybe you're just kind of still used to believing, Oh, like, Oh, we're down in the fourth quarter. No worries. We got a guy back there. Oh wait, we don't have a guy back there anymore who can come and save us. Yeah. And and, yeah. And, I, and I think it's trying to I think it's adjusting to that and realizing like, oh, you don't have that automatic comeback just in your back pocket. Like it's not there. And, yeah, like and, they left 30 and, seconds on the clock. Okay, we're gonna come back and win this. Yeah, it, it now now you're saying like ooh, like we're we're dead in the water. We have no time left. If like there there could be five minutes on the clock and, and we're like yeah, it's, oh. <laughs> it, it, it's like it's like yeah, even with three timeouts in the warning, like we're gonna be pushing this thing. Yeah, and it's it's really just kind of sad, honestly. Yeah, and... yeah, it, it it really does suck. So, uh, because like you're making you're trying to make the de- the defense play mistake free football, which eventually with these offenses something's gonna you know eventually break through. And then yeah, like you're trying to again just be mistake free, which unfortunately like, this team just isn't. They make there's just that. I I think what I'm gonna end up titling this episode, John, is degree of separation. Because that's what defines this team is I think if you had a competent quarterback, if this team was, in my opinion, more in tune and, uh, you know, the regiment was a little stronger with them, I think you could get a couple more of these wins. But in my opinion, they're just too immature. They just aren't ready for the situation yet. And I've been texting you guys this. I've said, like, Mac isn't ready for primetime. He isn't ready for this. And, yeah, they just aren't ready to take that next step yet, which is the degree of separation. So uh, if you're wondering the name, if you're wondering about the name of the title for the episode today, that is why. But uh, John, we discussed a whole lot of football news on the show today. I do want to switch some things up before we do go down to the wire. Uh, We will discuss some NBA news, but first I did want to take a moment uh, and discuss something that happened in baseball news over the weekend. Uh, Unfortunately, former Red Sox uh, knuckleball pitcher and, uh, Nesson broadcast analyst Tim Wakefield unfortunately lost his battle with brain cancer over the weekend. Uh, it was uh, it was kind of a new story that we found out about very last minute. Um, you know, at least in comparison to the timetable of how much time Wake had left, because the way this played out was, I guess, in the middle of the week last last week. Kurt Schilling went on his own personal podcast and 
announced to the world that Tim was battling from brain cancer and that his wife had pancreatic cancer, which obviously is an awful situation. And from all the reports, it seems that he did that without Tim's permission, which is really unfortunate. It's terrible to hear about. And even with that, though, I don't think people were prepared to to have, you know, you know, to lose Tim within like the next two to three days. I think people were expecting, oh, he's battling cancer. Maybe it's a couple months, maybe it's a year. Who knows how long he has? Maybe it's going to be treatment and like he'll maybe make a statement. Like we thought like maybe this thing will like be played out for a little bit and people would be rooting for him. But to see him gone in just a couple of days, even with, you know, getting notification about it, it was still a surprise to everyone. Yeah, it was extremely sad to the baseball world. I mean, yeah. it's not very, very much, especially in Boston, that you yeah. get such just like a guy on the team that yeah. is consistent. I mean, he was with the Red Sox for over 10 years. Uh, uh, close, I mean, to 20. close to close 20. Close to 20 years. Like, from our, from our perspective, like, you know, he was, a, he was a centerpiece, honestly, of that 04 team. And then yeah. along top that, we kind of saw the, at least me and you, kind of caught the end of his career in like 10 and 11. But yeah, yeah, I mean, just like looking back on it, it's, it's incredibly sad just to lose such a legend like that. I mean, it's a great knuckleball pitcher. I mean, like, he, yeah, he, uh, it's sick. Like, no, you it, don't it, really it, see it, knuckleballers have that much success. Yeah, and what's what's – what's amazing about it is that, you know, a lot of pitchers now they throw uh, like a hybrid knuckleball. Like I think Garrett Cole, if I remember from MLB, the show has like a knuckle curve and like guys have like, you know, knuckle like sliders or things like that. But like, that's just another pitch that these guys have in their arsenal and they use Tim Wakefield was live or die by the cur by the knuckleball. And, you know, he was, and that was just his pitch. Cause I think, his fastball, I think some people said, was like 76 miles an hour. It wasn't anything to, you know, really scoff at. But, you know, he could throw a 55-mile-an-hour knuckleball, and he made you look silly. And it, yeah. he, could, he could make some of the best major league hitters on the planet, you know, look like they've never done this before, which is which was kind of amazing to see. And, you know, he just – from what I've heard, I've only heard, like, amazing things that he was such a nice guy, did a lot of amazing things for the community. So – that just obviously makes it a lot more uh, sad. I know he did some works with the Red Sox, with the Red Sox Foundation. And as someone who's worked with the Wu Sox Foundation, doing some similar work to that, uh, I kind of have a bit of an understanding as to some of the things he was doing, maybe, uh, you know, with cancer awareness, with things in the community. So uh, definitely have some admiration and respect for that as well. Right. Yeah, but, it's definitely a sad day. Yeah. And then I, I guess the final thing I can say is like, Tim Wakefield for me was part of like one of those like OG like old school like baseball players in my mind like to where like in this era like obviously like there were some guys that you know I really resonated with like Dustin Pedroia, David Ortiz but Wakefield having as long of a career as he did and sticking around I look at him and like Veritech and some of these other pitch and like Martinez and some of these other pitchers in like a different light to where I'm like yeah like these were kind of like like my version of like the old school guys. And I really looked back on them like that. And I just thought like, he was such a gamer. Like, I really just yeah. thought about him like that. And like, now you see guys up with the team and you're like, Oh, that guy's a kid or like whatever, even Justin Turner. I'm like, yeah, he's like close to, you know, 40 years old now, but uh, I saw him in his prime and like everything like that. By the time I saw uh, Wakefield still being around, like he was up there in age, but he was still a grind. He was still grinding it out and doing his thing. And, it was just kind of it was just kind of amazing to see. Right, yeah, and it's definitely weird, especially in like an era of like ninety-five mile an hour fastballs and everything else. Hundred like mile an hour, even, right? Like even just like seeing this guy throwing like fifty mile an hour like curves, and he had one even slower. Yeah, like he had like a he had like a slow knuckleball. Yeah, and it's just like crazy, and he had like a slow curve. I think it was like a slower knuckleball, knuckleball, and then he had like a like. I think it was like 79 mile an hour fastball. But yeah. if you're throwing 56 and you throw 79, it catches you. And yeah, it can make it, it'll look a lot faster. Right. So, I mean, it's definitely really cool. And it was especially cool, like, just like even as a kid, you know, like just throwing like a knuckleball pitch and stuff, just knowing like it's so abstract and no one does it. But it's, it's like stuff you do as a kid and just messing around. And the fact that he just really, you know, 
he mastered it because yeah. because from looking back on it, he was a struggling infielder who was trying to make the big break into the into the big leagues and he couldn't figure it out. And he said, all right, like I have time. I'm in the minors. I'm going to tinker with this pitch and try to figure it out. And he became one of the better throwers of it in like in, in MLB history. I mean, obviously, you can look at guys like Phil Necro and all these different guys, but he was able to figure it out, which was really cool. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely it's definitely heartbreaking too, just like you added, because like he was such a big guy in the community. Like even when he got inducted in 2016, that was like a bigger part of it of why he got in, not only the 19 year career and just being like a really good vet on on these teams, but just well, the fact that like he stuck around and just stayed in the Red Sox community and just still yeah. was doing stuff like posts like poppy like veritat like these guys are sticking around and just trying to be leaders and get these younger guys up so well yeah because he wasn't and, and what's crazy too is he became like a part of the city he wasn't uh a bostonian but he by the end like everyone kind of just associated him with the city i think right had, I, I think he was from texas i'd have to look that up um i know he started with pittsburgh but i mean it's just it's really cool. I mean, like just like looking back on everything. Oh, my, else. Of my course, apologies. Just, he's he's from Florida. Sorry. Right, but I mean, just looking back on all the stuff, you know, it's just it's sad to see a community guy go like that, especially so quickly and so soon and so yeah. suddenly. It it was definitely unexpected. I, you know, I I I originally told uh you know the other host of the show Tyler Tucker about the news, and you know he was shocked about it. And then on Sunday he was he just texted me and said, "Hey, Wakefield didn't make it." I was like what like I, I had to look it up and i was just like it, it shocked me yeah yeah it's definitely sad yeah so obviously definitely sad prayers up to the wakefield family you know every, you know the you know everyone with red Sox, nesson all those guys that uh knew tim and everyone well you know want to wish them you know well in this time um but I, before we do go down to the wire john i do want to transition really quickly and uh take a moment to discuss something that happened in nba news uh the celtics um on Sunday, it was a wild Sunday in terms of Boston sports news because you had the Patriots game, you had the loss of Tim Wakefield, and then the other big news that went down on Sunday in, in the Boston sports world was that the Boston Celtics went out and acquired Drew Holiday from the Portland Trailblazers. Now, Holiday, uh, you know, pr- last season had been with the Milwaukee Bucks, but following the Damian Lillard trade, he got sent out to Portland and now has been flipped over to the Celtics in exchange for Robert Williams. Malcolm Brogdon, and then a 2024 first-round pick from the Golden State Warriors and a 2029 uh, first-round pick, and then a 2029 first-round pick. So uh, some pretty late-stage draft draft capital there, but then you're also losing some pretty decent uh, some pretty decent players as well in Malcolm, in Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams. So Brogdon, in my opinion, I had heard some people say that, oh, the you know, after the – I believe it was the trade to acquire – uh, Porzingis involving Brogdon went down because that was the original deal. It was to uh, get Malcolm. It, it was to trade out Malcolm Brogdon, bring in Kristaps Porzingis, and you were going to keep Marcus right. Smart. What happened was that deal with the Clippers went uh, went sour because they didn't like Brogdon's physical. So they so they 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 turned down the trade. The Celtics eventually t- decided to say, "All right, we'll trade Marcus Smart instead," and that right. and that's how that trade went down. Now with Malcolm Brogdon going out in the deal, I figured that you weren't going to repair that relationship. The big loss for me, though, is Robert Williams because I've said it for so many years now in that the Celtics just don't have a good big man presence down low. And I get that you acquire the seven-footer in Porzingis, but I don't still see him as a traditional big man. I really wanted you to get like a really solid guy down there that could uh, contest down low and I just don't know if you have that right now. And, you know, I like the offensive weapons you have, but, and listen, I love Drew Holiday coming back. I think he's going to be great for this team, but I just feel like you're going to be like, you're very weak in that front court right now. And I think that could hurt you. Yeah. See, I'm actually on the complete other side of the ball with you. I'm kind of glad that we got rid of Brogdon because I realistically, I'm glad we got that... rid of Brogdon too. I, cause I, I think he's hurt and I don't think we we're going to make that back. Right, right, right. But I think, honestly, getting rid of a injury-prone Williams was a good thing. I mean, realistically, his knee's in shambles. He's never yeah. going to get better from that. He's playing agree. 18, 20 minutes a game. 
granted, he's putting up like 14 and 10 at that time. And yeah. he's an elite defense player during that time. But that's 18 to 20 minutes a night. Yeah. Porzingis, when healthy, is so much better than him. And then what he would ever be between that. Porzingis has a three ball. Porzingis was a top five rim protector last year mm-hmm. when he was healthy. Like... Przingis is such an underrated asset and people forget that how good and how big the hype was of Porzingis going into draft night when he was drafted. Didn't really pan out with the Knicks, really started to turn it up, got injured a little bit, but then he bounced right back. And the thing is, is post-injury, he's putting up the same numbers. It's not like there's a regression at all. There hasn't been a regression. So I think realistically with him and the Celtics, I think, granted, I think it was a little bit of a panic of, who cra- oh, crap, who's going to guard Dame? And Jalen Brown can guard Dame pretty well. You think you know, Jalen Brown got... can – you think Jalen Brown's guarding Damian Lillard? I think he could have, yeah. No chance in hell he's guarding Damian Lillard. I everyone everyone was clowning on Jalen Brown's defense last year, John. I – I I still think I think Dame's a little bit overrated. You you can think he's overrated, but I I just don't think everyone think, was everyone was talking about how Jalen Brown can't guard and how he can't dribble. That was the entire discussion about Jalen Brown last year. So I I I, I really disagree with that because everyone was clowning on Jalen Brown and saying he can't guard, he can't do that. I and then, I don't know. I think I think he realistically could. I mean, he got in the weight room. He's looked a lot better. I think realistically, if you got to put a body on him, I think you're putting you're putting Tatum or you're switching Tatum and Brown on him the entire night. And Brown's quick enough that he's going to really disrupt those lanes and Dame's not going to get a shot. I know Dame's going to hit those shots where he's guarded. And I mean, all of the heats, all of the heat bench players were hitting that last, like all of those contested threes that they just kept hitting. It seemed like seamlessly, but adding in a guy like, you know, Drew, who is an X factor when it comes to those long, deep playoff runs, he's ridiculous. And it looks like we're going to have him probably for the rest of his career. It looks like the Celtics are working on extending him right now. I mean, we'll have to and see how that goes, but John, like Drew holiday is going to be on, is going to be on Damian Lillard. Now he is. Yeah. But I yeah. think realistically before that, I think, I think that, you were going to have to throw Brown on him and switch Brown and Tatum consistently. And I realistically think the reason we got him is because that's going to tire both of them out because who are you going to put on him? Peyton Pritchard? No, the reason, like, they, the, the reason they got Dame. Who else are you going to do? No, the reason they uh, didn't do that was because Brown was going to get cooked. I think he would have got. Brown I, was going to get cooked. I, yes. I, 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 I think I, that's I, ridiculous. I, I think he would have gotten cooked because he was getting cooked in, he was getting cooked in the Miami series. He was, he couldn't handle Jimmy Butler. He couldn't, he just wasn't. Jimmy Butler's a good basketball player. And okay, forget and about so that. is da- and so is Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is Damian... arguably a better one. Like you can make Damian a case Lillard... for that. Damian Lillard is not a better basketball player than Jimmy Butler. Uh, for what? He... For, By uh, far. If you're talking about around the perimeter, sure he is. If you're talking about around the know... perimeter, there's no debate. And Jimmy but and, and Damian Lillard's gonna pull up from is gonna pull up from the logo every time. And I and the fact that he's gonna be running around doing his thing. Yeah, sure. Can Jimmy Butler probably be more successful down low? I'll give you that. I can agree with that. But if you're talking about Jalen Brown having to defend on the perimeter and run around, I think he is going to get cooked out there. I think he is going to be absolutely out to like he's going to be out to lunch. He's not going to have a clue. And so I, I think that you know, I think that's a I think that's a little crazy. I think you're underrating no, him because no. he's a dog, dude. I, I, he's gonna. I, I, I like think it's what... going to be a dog fight, and I think Jalen Brown has more dog in him than Dame would. I think. That... I think realistically, I think Dame didn't even want to go to there. Like, no, he he didn't. He was he, literally for, for him. It was Miami was or bust. Saying, he said, "I'm not playing unless it's Miami." And they said, "All right, here's Milwaukee." Yeah, no, that and that's they... realistically what happened. Milwaukee takes it, gets Dame, is going to attempt to run. I don't think Milwaukee thought that the Celtics were going to get Drew in order when this all happened. I think the fact that the Celtics pulled off getting Drew kind of scares the crap out of everyone else because with Porzingis and even with everyone, I think we had a realistically pretty good shot of beating the Bucks, regardless of it, regardless of Drew. And I think mm-hmm. now that you had Drew, I think it's almost a guarantee that if the Celtics seriously like don't win the finals, I don't even know. 
Yeah. Like, I think this team is so deep and so loaded that they have to. I mean, Drew's an elite defender, can shoot. He's a really good, consistent three-point shooter on top of it. He has amazing defense, so much better than Marcus Smart. I mean, as much as we love Marcus Smart and as as good as he is, I think realistically that year when it was Smart and it was Drew up for Defensive Player of the Year, Drew probably edged them in a couple categories. Marcus Smart should have won it a couple of times. It's kind of like the MVPs when they kind of give them out like maybe a year or two after being like, oh, my bad, you should have won it a couple of years ago. Here you go. You're still a really good player. They do that a bunch. And I think realistically that was one of those years when Drew could have snuck in a couple more. But yeah, I just I- realistically think that with this team and what we have right now, we have the big guy. We have Al Horford, who realistically, I think, I think has what I mean, like, seriously, like we're pushing E right now on Al. I think we got about one more year in Al, and I think that's why they're throwing everything out there because if Al's looking good, who can defensively lock up big man, we got Porzingis who could, you know, he has a really good year. He almost has like that Bill Walton year on the Celtics where it's like you're pushing for one more. Like we're all in, man. Like this is yeah, this is it, and you're running with what you got right now. I mean, people are talking about how the bench is a little weak. I mean, you still got guys, but I mean, I'm not even worried about the bench being weak because come the playoffs, that that doesn't really even matter. Like it, that's it, what I. Yeah. It's really about just having like a top six, maybe seven guys. After that, you're after that you're you're running these guys all game. So like I'm I, that's not really even a factor for me. But yeah, I I just I'm I'm just concerned about down low. I think that sure Porzingis can can guard down there and he can do his thing, but I think when you face off against a Giannis, I know Embiid. You know I, I I'm. I'm really kind of like, you know, kind of pumping the brakes on him because they just haven't been able to get over that hump in so long. And I, I'm just like, I feel like the 76ers are kind of going back to being a little bit stagnant now, but just in a more I competitive way. I think if the 76ers way. can't win with two former MVPs and a head coach who's been to and won the NBA finals, I don't know who can help them. No, exactly. So I, I just don't think that they're going to be able to really do it. But I think Embiid, it, he's at least still going to be a presence down low. So I think that you, I, I think you just need to get someone who can battle down there. And I just, I, I, I don't question Porzingis' scoring ability or, you know, even some of his defense, but I just think that those guys are really going to be able to pound down low and just, you know, you know, get baskets down there. Yeah, I agree. But I don't think, I don't think Embiid can play like 48 minutes a night. Hmm. And I don't think Giannis can play 48 minutes a night as much as he's a freak, literally. Yeah. I mean, I think granted that it's really up to, like, you know, you got to have Jason Tatum MVP caliber season. Like, he's due. He's been due. If he doesn't get it done this year, I don't know when we're going to get it done. Yeah. You really put in everything in the bucket. I mean, Brad Stevens did a great job building this team and getting it ready. And then you amp up those players that Drew Holiday, like, is an amazing, amazing, super heavily of underrated guy. Yeah. In the NBA, my only concern for him, and like I, I, because I listen again. I let I love Drew Holiday. I think that he's going to be a good fit here. <laughs> the only concern I have for him, and again, this isn't even a good comp, but I look at a player. Remember when Dennis Schroeder came into Boston, and everyone kind of talked about like the potential he would have with uh, Jason and Jalen, and you know as a potential bench option and using him in certain sets, and he just didn't really gel well. I wonder if that could be a potential thing with Drew Holiday, but I don't really feel like it's the similar situation, but I was just getting kind of similar vibes to that when he got brought in. Obviously it was some, it was a different situation, but it was just something I thought of was, you know, is he, is Holiday still going to be kind of demanding of his touches? And, you know, he's a former, he's a former all-star. Like, is he still going to be trying to vie for that and be like, Hey, I still need to get my, I still need to get, need to get my buckets. Cause I'm still trying to be an all-star on this team. That's the only thing I wonder about. Yeah, I don't think it was ever a personality problem with him. I mean, yeah. people said the same thing with Brogdon coming in, you know, because he was having those issues. But yeah, I feel Frank- like the Celtics themselves are just a team that most people want to be on and want to gel with. And people understand and realize that we realistically brought this team, you know, like this team has been being built for like ever since, you know, we got Jalen Brown, honestly. You know, you had Jalen Brown, you had Marcus Smart, 
traded away Marcus Smart to get the championship. You traded away a Williams. You traded away these guys you built up in the system. And you're really just banking around, you know, Tatum and you're banking around Brown. And now you got, you know, one more piece of that. I think, you know, White's going to have a tremendous year. Yeah. People forget about him. He only got better as the season went on. And then in the playoffs, he turned it up. He saved the season a couple times. I mean, you got Porzingis, who's going to be a great asset. And, I mean, I think the team really just meshes well together. I don't think you trade Al because I think that's that veteran veteran presence who's been on and off these teams now seemingly is the veteran guy on the team, him and Tatum as much as he is young. And I think you really just got a, you got a good squad and you're going to push for it. I mean, Pritchard's a great option. He can give you 20. It's, it's really just like a perfect situation. And you got to really just, I'm really just excited and waiting just for the Celtics season to start. So I can just see how they do when they come up against these big teams and when they start to get battle tested. Yeah, John, I mean, I'll, I guess my closing things will, my closing thought on holiday will be that he's the only one in that building that's won a ring. So he has that experience. He's going to hopefully be able to go up to Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and say, Hey, you guys are obviously, you guys obviously have the keys to drive this ship and take us over the hump. But, I know what it takes. Listen to me, and I'm gonna help get you there. I I think that that's some that's a, some experience that the Celtics team really needed because there's really not there really hasn't been anyone that's been able to provide that for them in the, on this team, uh, long front alongside maybe a couple of bench guys, but uh, like yeah, but like other than that, really no one. So I'm right. glad I'm glad that they're gonna have that coming in. So, uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully they can get the job done. But uh, John. Unfortunately, I think that we are now officially down to the wire. So we're going to wrap up what we talked about on this show and send you guys on your way. Uh, it's been, you know, obviously a long time since I did an episode, maybe the past two weeks or so, but trying to get some more consistency back. Job's been crazy. School's been crazy, but we'll see how that goes. But uh, if you guys do want to listen to our episodes when they come out, you can follow you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. We also put this show on YouTube, and you can find all of those links in our Instagram bio at down dot to the wire. We have plenty of updates and clips from the show on there as well. So make sure you go give that a follow. Uh, you know, to kind of sum- summarize the show, we talked about the Patriots' loss to the Dallas Cowboys, the worst loss in the Bill Belichick era here for New England. So, uh, you know, back to the drawing board this week. We're gonna have to see how they can fare against the Saints. Uh, in MLB news, we talked about the tragic passing of Tim Wakefield. Uh, and, you know, his life legacy throughout, you know, his playing career and outside of baseball, just in the city of Boston in general. Uh, and, you know, it's just everything he did for the community. So we discussed that. And then we closed off by talking about the Celtics acquiring Drew Holiday from the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard going to the Milwaukee Bucks. So, uh, John, really do appreciate you have, for having you on the episode. Thanks for, uh, you know, giving me that call today and saying you wanted to rant. Yeah, of course. You know, the Pats talk, uh the Red Sox are gearing up for uh, hopefully, you know, we're looking young, we're looking good. And then, uh, yeah, Jalen Brown, defensive player of the year. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a pretty it's going to be a wild fall and an even wilder winter. So uh, look forward to having you back on at some point, John, to discuss all that. But from down to the wire, I'm Brian Costa. And I'm John Warren. And we hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Take care. Peace out. W.J.M.F. Radio.